Hello, LifeBridge family and friends. Hope all of you are doing well today. Thank you once again for allowing us to come into your homes, to come into your lives, to come into your rides to work. Uh, thank you for giving us the opportunity to minister to you, uh, to share with you what God is doing in our lives as, as it comes to the topics uh, that, that we are studying and we are researching as God speaks to us uh, through his word. Uh, this weekend is Halloween. And on Sunday, depending on when you are watching this or listening to this, kids are going to dress up and, and they're going to put on a costume and they're going to hit the streets. They might be coming to your house as well. They're going to come and they're going to collect candy. And they're going to pretend to be something that they really aren't for a short period of time. And they're going to come and they're going to knock on your door and they're going to say trick or treat. And, and some of them, are, it's going to be obvious. This, this is what this kid is, Superman or Wonder Woman or, or whatever the case may be. And then there's going to be others that you're like, who, who are you? What, what are you? We don't, we don't know what you're dressed up as. And there's going to have to be some, some explanation. This has got me thinking about Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus was consistent. He was always who he is meant to be. Except for one moment in time. Except for one, looking back on it, we can say for one unique period of his life, Jesus was something other than what he was supposed to be. Jesus uh, went to the cross for all of humanity. And on a Friday afternoon, he surrendered his life. He gave into death, something that he shouldn't have done, something that shouldn't have been part of his life. But because of the love that he had for humanity, he was willing to become something that he should have never been. He is dead. And for a few days, this is who Jesus is, a lifeless figure laying on a slab of rock. But then Sunday comes around, right? We know the story. Sunday comes around and Jesus is now something else. Jesus has taken off the costume of death and he is alive. And today in our Core 52 journey, even though it's Halloween, we are talking about the resurrection. It has an Easter feel to it. And the resurrection is God's crescendo when it comes to giving all of humanity an opportunity to live in eternal relationship with him. As a matter of fact, when you think about the resurrection, and usually we only talk about the resurrection on Easter, that's why I'm so excited that we're doing it today. Without the resurrection, nothing else about Jesus matters. And I know that's a harsh statement with all the good that he did. But without the resurrection, nothing else matters. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another prophet. He's just another, um, he's just another person in another religion that represents people on earth. Oh no. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is separated. He's on a, another playing field than other world religions. So the resurrection is super important. Uh, our core verse, 
this week is 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And I know what some of you are thinking, Michael, your, your preaching is usually useless. And, and, and I get that and I understand that because I'm nowhere near uh, the preacher that Jesus and Paul were. And here's the thing, our very faith, the very thing that you've tuned in to, to listen to and to hear from, every single bit of that is useless without the resurrection. And so today, we're going we're gonna to look at the resurrection but we're going to do it in a in a different light. Usually uh, on Easter, we talk about the joy, the peace. We talk about the facts, some part of the resurrection story uh, that certainly applies to to our lives. And here's one thing I noticed as as we were as I was studying preparing for this. Rarely have I ever looked and focused on the conversations that Jesus had. Um, with those closest to him post coming out of the grave. There's not a lot of expounding upon the conversations. I just want to share with you these conversations, and I want to share with you some simple points that I pray will meet you where you are on your faith journey. So that's what we're going to do today as we talk about the resurrection. We're going to we're going to focus on the conversations, the interactions that Jesus had with those closest to him. Now, let's set the stage because it's not Easter. and We haven't been reading the, the, the story of Jesus. It's an emotional time for the disciples. After all, their mentor has just died a horrible death. They themselves are, are living in fear. They are questioning what just happened. And if you're Peter, who just denied Jesus a couple of times, three times, you're also living in some serious regret. You're carrying around some extra emotion. Jesus' body has been taken and it's been placed in a borrowed tomb on a Friday because of the Sabbath laws that are in place, his body couldn't really be properly prepared for uh, for burial. So they wrapped him in, in strips of linen. They, they laid him on the cold slab of a stone. They sealed the tomb, and, and that's where they put his body. And so because of Sabbath, they couldn't do anything. So on Sunday, Sunday morning at first light, some of the women in Jesus' crew, they head to the tomb to prepare him for burial. I'm going to read the account out of the book of John, chapter 20. Uh, let me share this with you. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said... They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. And so that's the stage. This early Sunday morning, emotions are all over the place. They're still mourning the loss of, of their mentor, of their friend. Uh, the, the ladies, uh, Mary and uh, a couple of Marys, actually, two of them, showed up and they brought the spices. They brought the proper burial um, spices to, to, to prepare his body for being there for a long period of time. They showed up because Jesus is dead. And when they get to the tomb, they realize something completely different. Jesus is no longer there. And so what happens next is intriguing to me. We're going to look at the conversations. Not all of them, but we're going to look at eight instances in which Jesus uh, interacted. He conversed with his friends. And, and my prayer is that somewhere within these eight interactions, God is going to speak to you. Hopefully it's some encouragement today, meeting you where you are. Maybe you're dealing with doubt. Maybe you're dealing with fear. Maybe you're, you, you've got some trust. My prayer has been that God will speak to you through the conversations that he had with those closest to him. So here we go. Number one, Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 through 10. This is Matthew's recording of what I just read. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. You got to read the first part of Matthew to understand. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him. They grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee for they will see me there. And so the women, just so you know, they, they made their way to the tomb. They got to the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. Uh, they were shocked at this. They couldn't believe this. The body was not there. The angels appeared and they said, what are you looking for? He's not here. And so there was three women, two of them took off running and, and they are going to run and they're going to tell Peter and the disciples, because it's like, his body's not here. His body's been stolen. They're going to tell these guys what it is. And Jesus steps in. He presents himself to them. And he says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see them here. Here's the first lesson. Jesus' first words spoken. Don't be afraid. His greatest concern was the danger that fear could do to their faith. See, fear and doubt are two issues the disciples were dealing with these days after Jesus died on the cross. 
And word on the street was that the Jewish leaders wanted to also arrest the followers of Jesus. And they wanted, uh, they wanted to torture them. They wanted to send a clear message that Jesus' ways and his teachings would not be tolerated. And so these followers of Jesus, they're, they're scared. They're living in fear. And Jesus' first words are, don't be afraid. And those are words that are spoken to you and I today. In a period in our life where uh, religious freedoms are being taken from us, you know, we read stories all around the, the globe where, where people are dying, they're being beheaded. Uh, you can't go into China with Bibles because you, will, you will, uh, can lose your life. You can end up in, in prison for, for three-year stints at a time for every occurrence. Don't be afraid. And, and maybe the message of don't be afraid is you've got somebody in your life that you're wanting to share the gospel with and you've been hesitant. Don't be afraid. The second conversation comes from John chapter 20, verses 15 and 16. M Mary Magdalene is, is key in this story. She's the one who brought the spices and she's the one that tells Peter and, and she goes and she tells Peter and they run back and, and, and it's like, what's, what's happening here? He's not here. This doesn't make sense. Verse 15 of John 20. Jesus says, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought this man was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me, where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and she cried out, Rabbi! Jesus revealed himself to Mary, and his first concern in this moment was for her tears. See, here's, here's the thing, church. God cares about your tears. He, he cares about your hurts. He cares about your concerns. He cares about these things. And he wants you to find Jesus as the answer to the pain in your life. All of us are hurt. All of us have been hurt. All of us are carrying around pain of some way, shape, or form in our lives. And Jesus is the answer to solving those. The third one, Luke 24, verses 13 through 17. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I, I love this scene, right? Like, like these guys have heard the events. The tomb is empty. Uh, now some of our lady friends, have they've seen Jesus. And, and the message is that go to Galilee and Jesus is going to present himself to us. And so these two believers, they're just walking along the road, the road to Emmaus, Emmaus and out of nowhere, a third person shows up and God 
keeps them from being able to recognize that this is Jesus. Here's the thing. Jesus shows up when we have gospel or Christ-centered conversations with others. Maybe not literally. Maybe you're sharing your faith or you're sharing what you talked about at church or, or, or what your amazing preacher uh, taught on Sunday. Maybe you're sharing that conversation with somebody. You Rarely does Jesus literally just show up. But from a figurative sense, anytime we are having gospel conversations, anytime that we are purposely talking about our faith, Jesus shows up. I love what the Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah said. He wrote, my word, and this is God speaking to Isaiah, my word will not return empty. That when it goes out, when it is spoken, when it is read, when it goes out, it will do work. And, and I see these guys, they're walking along the road and who knows what emotional state they are in. Are they confused at this moment in time? Are they excited? We don't know. But what we do know is they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the events that have taken place. And Jesus shows up. Church, when we decide to, as we go through life, have conversations about Jesus, he is going to show up. It may not be as dramatic as this, okay? It probably won't be as dramatic as this. And you may not see an immediate return of God's word going out. But as you go and you have conversations about Jesus, he shows up. The fourth one, we're halfway through. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they will not be forgiven. Wow, so Jesus presented himself to the ladies and he gave the message of, of go to Galilee. And I'm going to show myself there. And so they're, they're terrified. The Jewish leaders are wanting to, to hunt them down. And so they're behind a locked door in hiding. And Jesus just shows up. This is the first time that he has presented himself with the 11. And if you read Luke's account, and you can go back and do that on your own, the, the two people that were mentioned on the road to Emmaus they, they left that encounter with Jesus and they went to tell Peter and, and the gang what happened. And so we encountered Jesus over here and, and, and now they're all locked in this room and Jesus just shows up out of thin air. And look how it greets them. Peace be with you, he says. 
amidst all that is happening to his disciples. Jesus wanted them to feel his peace. Not the peace that the world talks about, but his peace. As a matter of fact, he says it again. He repeats this twice. As the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, as the Father has sent me, I am going to send you. So twice, it's peace be with you. And then this message, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he tells them this important detail that comes true a little bit later on. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then the important message of if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. Jesus offers them peace. He offers them this peace to get them, to, to get them refocused, I believe. He reminds them of the mission. I am sending you. And then he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And he reminds them this important detail that as you go into the world, the people will need to be forgiven. Because as you go, you, you're going you're gonna to encounter people who were just a couple of days ago yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And that's going to stir up emotions within you. And so you need to make sure that you Offer forgiveness to them. You need to let them know that they are forgiven. And in the same way, you will be forgiven. The fifth, the fifth encounter happens eight days later. It's John chapter 20, verses 26 through 29. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Once again, we've got to notice how Jesus greets them. Peace be with you. Jesus appears from out of thin air. And Jesus, he's dealing with the doubt. He's dealing with faithless, especially that of Thomas. All of them were struggling with doubt. If you go back and you look at Luke, he mentions the disciples' doubt in the, within a different encounter with Jesus before this famous encounter with Thomas takes place. And when it comes to Jesus, uh, hey, there, there can be doubt, right? You and I know the popular saying, seeing is believing. Like you and I, we need the concrete proof. So did Thomas. Thomas needed to see the that Jesus was alive. He needed to see that it really was him. He needed to see that the hands were pierced, that the side was pierced. And then Jesus says this in verse 29. You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. More blessed are those who believe without having to actually see 
the physical Jesus. And that's a promise that is true for you and I. And how cool is it? I mean, how cool is it that post-resurrection, Jesus lets you and I know that as we read this today in 2021, as we read this, that we are blessed because we believe in him without actually having to see him. Hey, the sixth thing I want to share with you um, comes from John chapter 21. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Here's an interesting uh, dialogue that takes place between his disciples and, and Jesus is on the shore and, and they're doing what they naturally have done most of their life and that's fishing. They've, they've already experienced this once with Jesus and, and so he's there, they can't recognize him. There's some stranger that just blurts out, hey, have you caught anything by any chance? To which they answer, no, we, we haven't. Here's the thing. Every question that Jesus brings to our lives is with purpose. There are no details that come to us that are not an opportunity for him to reveal himself in our lives. It's a rhetorical question. He knows that they don't have any fish. He knew that answer. But he asked the question anyway. Because when it comes to Jesus, the questioning that we hear is an opportunity to respond in some trust-building answer. Throw your nets onto the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. I mean, is that my right? Is that your, your right? You know, what, what, what right is it? Jesus is setting them up. He's giving them the opportunity to build trust. And you and I today, we deal with questions often in our own faith journeys. Do we overthink these questions? Sometimes. When we do, it often leads to doubt. It can lead to fear. Or as the answers are given, do we trust what God wants us to do? And, and I'll tell you this, when it comes to the Holy Spirit prompting me with questions about upcoming decisions and about behavior changes in my life, rarely, if ever, has there been a clearly defined, obvious answer that we just do. It's usually some answer that is is something as random as throw your nets on the right side. As I do this, as I am giving these partial answers, it's always an opportunity to build trust. The seventh thing, it's one of the popular ones that we use here at LifeBridge, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make disciples, he says. It's Jesus completing his final earthly task. When he invited these men into relationship with him, he let them know that they would be transformed into fishers of men. They would be on mission. And Jesus is now releasing them to go fishing for people who also need to be in relationship with God. And there's two things to point out to you as, as I read this, I'm reminded of this within this command. It's the bookends to what Jesus is instructing here. The front part of it, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. I'm telling you right now, that statement carries a certain amount of weight uh, before uh, when Jesus taught, he says, I'm only doing the things that the Father tells me to do. I'm only doing the things that I see the Father doing. Here, Jesus is no longer submissive to death and he's no longer submissive to his Father. Here, he has been given full authority. And so what comes out of his mouth next is super important. And then the second part of that at the end, as you go into the world, as you do the things I tell you to do, remember this, I am with you always. Church, Jesus wants us to fulfill the mission. That's part of being a disciple. He wants us to carry on that mission today of making disciples. And we need to know that as we go into this, he is with us always. Hey, the eighth and final thing, comes from Acts chapter one. Once, this is verse four, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that you and I need to know. Jesus promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit to always be with us. This is, I am with you always. This is the fact that we are never alone. He promises us power to face all that is before us and to equip us with that same power to share with those in our world. We have the Holy Spirit living in us as Jesus promised. The resurrection, without it, our faith is useless. But because of it, our faith is to be taken seriously. This opportunity is not just to keep the resurrection and the joy that Jesus brings to our life by conquering death. We are to go and we are to share that with other people. So I close with this verse, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
it's kept in heaven for you. That is the promise of the resurrection that we share with Jesus because we believe. And my challenge to you, as you listen to the conversations that Jesus had, the conversations about fear and not being afraid and not doubting and knowing that we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, will you do as Jesus commanded? Will you go and into the world and make disciples? Will you have the gospel conversations with others? It's always been God's desire that everyone gets to share in that same inheritance that you and I have. Until next week, may you live this out.